This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. As is always the case, I am Dave Moten. I am the host of the show. I am also the author of Mindframe. And with me in the silent background is Brent Van Tassel, the producer extraordinaire and master of social media. Um, this episode is another uh, half of the prelude for book two, where the, as I said in the last episode, we sort of have, we're turning a narrative corner in sort of the structure and what's occurring. And um, part of that is an indication of it being book two. And the prelude is sort of the, the launch of the second book. So we heard the first half, the beginning of Sheriff uh, Burhan's investigation on the previous episode. And I'll say a little bit more about the upcoming episode after I do some uh, important and lovely business, such as talking about the amazing El Yucateca hot sauce. Um, it's a great product. It's the best hot sauce on the market as far as we're concerned. As I've said before, we wouldn't be plugging it if we didn't love it. Um, and we've, we've had a long relationship with El Yucateco on other podcasts. Um, and as I said, I was going to sort of profile the different flavors because um, there are several to choose from. This week, I want to talk about their Caribbean, um, which is similar in flavor to the Triple X, but it's lighter in flavor. It's not as spicy. It's not nearly as spicy as the Triple X, but it's a lighter. It's almost got a tang to it. Um, it it'd be, I think it would go really nice on seafood, even though I don't eat seafood, um, but it's really good on, on lighter food. It's it, There's a crispness to it, but it's still just a delicious hot sauce. A lot of people on social media, when they talk about El Yucateco, um, a lot of people admit that Caribbean is their favorite. Um, you might not find Caribbean at the average market that you go to, so you might need to go to elyucateco.com and buy it there, get it on Amazon, um, uh, find, find some place online to get it, but it's definitely worth looking into. Also, we are a member of the Podbelly Podcast Network, and we are also a Podbelly original. Um, if you want to find out some information on podcasts or some really cool podcasts to, to listen to, um, go to podbelly.com and uh, check out uh, what is there waiting for you. And then finally, if you like the show, if you've been following us uh, this whole time, and if you're not a patron, just keep in mind you're missing out on a whole second podcast. Um, if you become a patron of the show, you get access to the um, sit down episodes, uh, which are normally us talking for probably 45 minutes, sometimes closer to an hour. Um, we drink some whiskey, we relax, we have a little bit of fun. We talk about the episodes, we talk about sci-fi in general. Um, so uh, if you like that, if you want the more casual side and you want to hear us talking about the show, definitely consider uh, patreon.com. So part two of the second prelude is um, a slight change in the investigation. Instead of uh, Hilt Burhan uh, hitting the grounds and hitting the dreams and swinging his saber to find things out. Um, he has a good old fashioned detective conversation with someone that we've seen several chapters ago towards the beginning of, of mind frame, but we're going to see the two of them as they sit down and start to piece things together. So enjoy and we'll see you on the other side. The ramp lowered and Hilt walked down and out of the black diamond and roughly the middle of the ramp. There was a double yellow line with a circle next to it. Inside the circle was a capital G with a plus sign in front of it and a minus sign behind it. This meant that once you walked past that line, the false gravity of the diamond no longer held sway. You gave yourself up, the circle said, to whatever passes for gravity or lack thereof once you crossed this threshold. His next step was tentative, 
but his foot found something akin to a standard G on the other side of the line. The gravity on the diamond was no more real than whatever simulated that cosmic force on the new ship, but the two were dissimilar. It was like the difference between falling 20 feet down or being pulled 20 feet below the surface by an undertow. They both got you the same distance and roughly the same time, but they were utterly foreign experiences. As Hilt disembarked, he examined the bay in which he docked. It was called a dark bay and was small and ornate, a thing that was reserved for only members of the WorldGov Enclave. There was one on every flagship. He had a similar dark bay on his own flagship back in orbit around Earth, and it had never been used. In fact, aside from the captain and head of security, nobody even knew it was there. The dark bays were meant for covert meetings that even the crew wasn't meant to know about. And in this case, it was on the WNV Clinton, flagship of Admiral Venyamin Nachiev's 6th attack fleet. He strode onto the deck and found his space legs under the new ship's plastic gravity. The walls of the docking bay were not the same size or shape they were just a second ago. He heard this was the newest thing on attack vessels. He didn't care for it. He paused to straighten his uniform and heard his constant companion disembark from the black diamond, sliding out of slots that opened in the hull. It sounded like the sharpening of a hundred hundred knives, metal on metal, scraping, and it formed itself directly over his head. Once assembled, the noise turned into the shutter clock and electrical buzz of his Mo Yu as it took position over the diamond and sat ready for service. Diamond, Hilt said, and he heard the ping that indicated the comm was open. Put me in contact with Admiral Nachayev Actual, Enclave Channel, Covert. One second, Sheriff. Hilt walked to the door, or hatch, he supposed they'd call it, of the dark bay. Channel is open, sir. Hilt heard the click as the line went live and said, Commodore Nachayev, this is Sheriff Hilt Brahan. I'm in your dark bay at the moment on GPF investigation business. I'm requesting a private audience at your earliest convenience, but I have to initiate special rule 312 and ask that we be alone and that all recording and surveillance, be it based on security or posterity, be suspended. Roger that. Follow the instructions I'm sending your communications officer. I'll cancel a meeting and talk to you shortly. Hilt could tell that the Commodore was being intentionally vague in what he said, most likely to give no hints to a valet or assistant. The Black Diamond said, If the Commodore has promoted me to status of communications officer, does that mean I now get to earn World Navy chits? Hilt laughed a little, but cut it short wondering if the Black Diamond wanted or need chits. Did it need things it didn't have? He'd have to ask it later. The Black Diamond informed Hilt that he was to simply follow the blue lines on the floor and use his Enclave clearance to enter the door they lead to. He left the dark bay and a blue glow appeared on the metal flooring that was installed inside the utterly alien, fluctuating walls and ceiling. It felt like he was being swallowed by a skyscraper shaped like an ostrich as the walls breathed like a long throat. The hall was empty, of course, since it would only lead from the dark bay to a couple of other spaces on the ship. Eventually, he entered a strange ready room with no discernible shape, just off the Commodore's private bridge. He sat at the table, a thing meant for a smaller meeting of close staff members, and he was instantly ill at ease. The walls were playing tricks, being closer and farther and closer again. The place looked vaguely square, and then roughly circle, and then bigger, and then smaller. It started to make him sick to his stomach, 
So he tried some of the techniques he learned to control the wavering variability of dream spaces. He insisted the walls be a fixed distance from him, not allowing the other mind, or in this case, ship, to influence or backfill details from the interrogation. This was not a dream, but it seemed to work. The walls backed off and stayed backed off and fell into the shape of a perfect rectangle. A few minutes later, Commodore Venyamin Nachiev entered the room. Hilt, he said, addressing him with the casual first name. This was a social practice used by all members of the 20-member WorldGov Enclave. The Enclave was comprised of the five messengers, commodores, sheriffs, and advocates that ran the government. The Enclave almost never met in its entirety anymore, since half the members were always clear across the solar system, so the first name custom added a familiarity. Benjamin, Hilt said back. They had physically met on exactly four occasions, Hilt's investigation said, but never anything that stood out in his memory. It would have been something like ending up at the same cocktail party or a staff meeting as they both climbed their respective ladders. They'd been on teleconference for Enclave meetings eight times, but had never even spoken on the same agenda item. Using a first name did not feel natural, but it was a custom initiated by the Alpha Messenger a century ago when he formalized so many things about WorldGov, the Enclave, and the Four Pillars. The WorldGov customs were not random or purely ceremonial, they were all here for a reason. Benjamin shook Hilt's hand with a small, sharp, precise pressure that felt more like a scalpel than a vice. To what do I owe this rather surprising visit, the Commodore said as he moved to his seat. And I might add, we are as private as I can possibly make it unless we want to put on spacesuits and touch helmets out in the vacuum. The Russian spoke with a smile, but Hilt suspected this was only half-joke. May I get you a tea or a drink of wine, anything? Hilt said, I would love a coffee, but it can wait. Nonsense, the Commodore said, and moved to a samovar on the side table. He poured two coffees from the ornate thing that Hilt assumed was a family relic. Take anything? Dark, please. Dark as your personal shuttle, the Commodore asked, adding, Must be quite a vehicle. Totally evaded all of our sensors. We don't even show any mass inside the dark bay at the moment. Or did you fly over in a spacesuit? Intelligence indicates your flagship is still in orbit of Earth. I know you didn't walk. What vessel did you fly out here on? Hilt nodded a thanks as he took the Bone China Cup. It was embossed with the logo for the Sixth Fleet. The Black Diamond. Ah, the Commodore said and whistled. One of the rumored Black Diamonds. Care to ease a World Navy man's curiosity and tell me how fast she can fly? Hilt took a sip of the coffee. It was pretty awful. Thin and light brown, but still somehow burned. Nothing could salvage it except resilience and dedication to finish the cup. She's roughly as fast as a razor class. The Commodore smiled again. Hilt noticed how fine his lips were, but then had to admit he'd never spoken with a whole lot of Caucasians. Hilt saw that the Commodore's finely chiseled face was heavy with purpose. Then again, he suspected his own face was probably the same. The Commodore said, If you claim it is roughly the speed of a Razor, then you know its precise speed and the speed of a Razor-class vessel. The roughly is either meant to be humble or a boast, and I, for one, would respect either side of that particular coin. Fair enough, Hilt said, revealing nothing about the speed of his ship. And yet no sensors or ships detected a hard burn like we would with a Razor-class nearing the fleet? Sorry, that is a second question, the Commodore said. 
Hilt himself was still in awe of the mechanics of the diamond's thrust. There was an identical diamond that had been placed in deep space outside of the solar system decades ago. Somehow, it generated the propulsion and was entangled with this half of the diamond. When that white diamond moved, the black diamond did in equal measure. Hilt said, She does not use propulsion as we know it in the realm of Newtonian physics. Nothing to detect. Nor does she register mass. The black diamond, like your Clinton here, is an impossible thing. Nacheyev nodded and said, So I would gather, or it would not be the secret vessel of the five sheriffs of Earth. Would you indulge me in one more question? Most certainly, Commodore. How did you manage to still our bulkheads here? I've never seen anything like it in all the time I've been on board the Clinton. The walls move when they need to. Hilt took a sip out of courtesy and the need to caffeinate, saying, It is a long answer, and one that is directly intertwined with some of what I'm here to discuss with you. He paused to find where to start. Then he stood up and straightened his black jacket. He could think better while pacing. Hilt asked, What do you know about forensic dreaming, Benjamin? This is the first I've heard of it. Something to do with framers, I'd gather? No. Actually, though you would think so. It is a technique kept alive by the sheriffs, something developed in the world vote wars to hunt down the resistance, something kept up to assist in investigations dealing with violent or dangerous deviants. Currently, four humans are proficient in the technique. The dolphins, though stronger in most mental tricks, don't have this one. They never fully sleep like we do. Nacheyev asked, And what exactly is the technique? I'm guessing it's psychic in nature? If you want to call it that, yes, it is psychic in nature. Using this practice, we enter the dreams of a subject. It can only be done when we're both asleep. They need not be dreaming when the session begins, but it's easier if they are. We create a dream chamber, something incredibly generic and small, and the subject will fill it in with spaces common to their dreams. You probably have recurring locations in your dreams, things that are like but not quite identical to schools you attended or homes from your childhood. The Commodore nodded and said, yes, of course. Well, the subject's mind typically defaults to one such location. In fact, once the dream is initiated, they do most of the work, filling in details, characters, etc., unless you don't want them to. Now, the reason for this is to assist in especially difficult or tricky investigations. People's memories are faulty at best. Witnesses lie or are scared or are so traumatized by what they witness that they can't accurately recall things. With the assistance of proper interrogation techniques, we help them recall the memory much more accurately than the imperfections of a conscious mind can. People will bury things due to being distressed. They will have retold a story so many times that memory is no longer accurate to the real events. Or, of course, people simply lie to us. In forensic dreaming, none of this is an obstacle. We enter the dream, interrogate them by creating the circumstance we want, and let them show us the truth. Commodore Nachev drank his flat coffee in one scalding swallow and looked concerned. He said, Isn't that a bit intrusive? Hilt laughed and picked up both of their coffee cups. He turned to the samovar and said, No, Venyamin, it is not a bit intrusive. It is the very epitome of intrusive. We are invading a person's most private memories, getting to see them in ways the person, him or herself, cannot see them. He added two sugars like the man did himself moments ago, set a fresh coffee in front of the Commodore, and returned to his seat. Isn't that against the law? 
In point of fact, it is not. If we use the technique on a civilian, we have them sign a waiver saying we may use interrogation techniques that cause no harm, physical or psychological. They give us permission. If it is a member of the administrative class, the World Navy, or the police force, they've already assented with the same agreement form that allows framers to push them. If they are of the messenger branch, we don't bother using the technique at all because the barrier between dream and waking is as thin as this coffee. All that leaves is deviants and members of the fifth houses. They both operate illegally and would likely be the focus of our investigation, so WorldGov laws treat it no differently than a wiretap. We simply need a stellar judge to give up a search permit, and this includes a dream tap. No offense about the coffee, Hilt said with a smile. None taken. It is awful, and why I drink tea. Hilt took another drink. He thought it might have gotten better, but realized he simply had grown more willful in the drinking of it. He let a silence hang in the air as the Commodore thought. Nachiev eventually said, I've been on the Enclave for less than a year, so I'm certain there's much I've not been debriefed on. Is there a formal report I can read on this forensic dreaming? Hilt nodded his head, saying, There is not. It is known only by those who practice it, one advocate, one stellar judge, and now you. It is double black, eyes-only clearance, and as such you can never discuss it with anyone but me. I'm quite certain you have your share of double black eyes-only secrets in the Navy. Yes, indeed I do. And it is the World Navy, not the Navy, the Commodore said. He wasn't snippy about it, but Hilt could tell he just rubbed up against a pet peeve. The Russian then asked, So why do I now know another double black secret? Hilt said, You know this because an investigation I've been running has pointed towards some knowledge you yourself might have had. It was a long shot, but I'm out of leads. Who are you investigating? Master Noah Fang. The courier? You're investigating his assassination? Hilt shook his head and said, Not really. I'm looking into who could have faked his death and why. The Commodore's eyes woke up and he asked, You have reason to believe he's still alive after, what, 14 years? 15, Hilt corrected. I fully believe he's alive. The only questions that remain are, Where is he? Is he free or captured? Is he deviant or loyal? And why did he either A not come forward that he survived the blast, or B, fake the blast in the first place. He would be a prize hostage, source of intel, or person to flip for the deviant cause. Nachiev added, if he himself was not a deviant already. I understand this is a critical case, but is this important enough to pull a sheriff out of Earth's gravity well? You're responsible for policing one-fifth of the Earth's population. Surely you have entire teams to investigate under you who can follow these leads? Not exactly, no, Hilt said. This investigation would have ended a year ago without dream forensics, and only sheriffs know how to do those interrogations. And there are five of us, yes. We split up the earth by our own prescripted geographies. Sheriff Bai is in control of Eastern Asia and all the islands. Batbold polices Western Asia, and Moretti covers Europe and Africa. Gauthier has the Americas. I'm the fifth. My purview is non-historical populations. Luna, the ring habitat, though... That's mostly under construction and trouble for a future sheriff. The tidal arcologies, the orbital elevators, Atlantis and the dolphin states and so forth. This means I have about one one thousandth the population of the others, but I also have about a thousand times the number of deviants in my populations thanks to the labor sites. This means my generals can handle the day-to-day -day when I take a case. 
If the other sheriffs find something especially worthy of off-world investigations, I'm given the file, and, well, here I am. Notch, I have said, we have similar splits in the World Navy. So then, where do I come in, Hilt? Yes, one second, Hilt said, as he reached into the satchel at the foot of his chair. He brought out two photographs and set them on the table. One was an admittance photo for the Academy. The other was a candid shot that looked like it was taken from a body cam. Hilt held up the Academy photo first. It was of a young woman who looked to be of partial Chinese or Korean descent. Hilt said, This photograph is of the official framer for the Eleanor Gray. She was assigned to the ship the same year as Captain Bill Campana. Benjamin leaned back after accepting the photo. Hilt could see memory and fondness wash over him. You recognize her, Hilt said. On the contrary, I've never seen her before. But as you certainly know, I was close personal friends with Bill. I've heard a great many stories about this woman, but I've never met her, since she was in a framing chamber every time I visited the Grey. She's the only survivor of the Battle of Trujillo Williams. Perhaps, Hilt said, holding up the other photo. This was a photo he took himself. It was of a Caucasian woman in her mid to late thirties. Do you recognize this woman, he asked, handing the photo to the Commodore. I do not. Obviously, she's a framer and in her framing chamber. Correct, Hilt said. And who is she? This, I'm afraid, is also Josephine Wu. When the Eleanor Gray was dry docked at a Kunga station a few months ago, I used my Enclave authority to gain access to the ship and enter her framing chamber without setting off her attendance. I know that Enclave access inside a chamber can cause trouble with a mind frame and break it up a bit, but it was worth the risk. I was partially inside her mind frame. It was a winter's night, and she was in a large hotel. She looked out a third-story window and seemed to see me. It was pitch black outside, smelled like mountain air with deep cloud cover. She couldn't have seen me since the play of light on the inside of the window would have only showed her a reflection of herself. But I could tell she knew I was there, knew I was watching her. So I took this photo as expeditiously as I could and left. The bio records from her attendance did show a stress surge during my visit. I hope I didn't permanently interrupt her mind frame in any significant way, but she's not supposed to be there anyway. At any rate, the Marines who were stationed as guards all saw me and admitted me to take this photo. Immediately after, they were all reassigned under my command to mitigate the chance of leaks that I was there. I had hoped to find the same woman from the other photo in the framing chamber, but no such luck. The Commodore slapped his hand on the desk and his face turned slightly pink. He spoke without the typical control he normally used, and Hilt noticed that his Russian accent grew very thick as he said, This is a massive security leak. How did this woman get in there? Who is she? Where is the real Josephine Wu? What tipped you off to go and look on the gray in the first place? All excellent questions. As I was following the disappearance of Master Wu, I ran out of possible people to dream tap. My last clue was that he was, or is, on board the Tehachapi. I spent the better part of three weeks flying dark beside that flagship, poking around in dreams of that crew. It was a long shot gambit, but sometimes one gets lucky while looking for things out of the ordinary. Eventually, I ran into one person who saw something. It turns out a crew member was doing some random extravehicular maintenance on the hull of the Tehachapi. He was fully pushed by his framer, not even conscious of what he was doing in any way. But I leaned into him and interrogated him about seeing things that were abnormal. His dream took me to a memory of that day outside the vessel. 
He saw into a window of the ship and glimpsed the woman in the first picture, the original Josephine Wu, Bill Campana's Josephine Wu. She was meditating. It took time to find who she was because most of the framer files don't have images of the framers. The messengers say it helps avoid psychic residue if in the off chance someone reads a file and knows them from before the chamber. So I kept scouring through people's dreams and found every indication that the ship had an unused deck, an entire deck completely devoid of people. The lifts avoid it, nobody goes there to do maintenance, and it turns out it is the deck she was seen on. In dozens of dream investigations in one night, I took lifts around the ship and noticed the same lag between two decks in every dream. I looked at food and oxygen records and they either pointed to the deck or were fudged to make it look like it didn't exist. So I did a more traditional investigation and found that by all World Naval and Messenger Branch records, nobody ever reassigned Josephine Wu. In fact, nobody even opened the chamber after the Battle of Trujillo Williams since the attendants reported that her health was perfect and she was not affected by the deviant attack. Then I flew from the Tehachapi to the Gray to see who was in the framing chamber. I took this photo of the second Josephine Wu, and now I'm here. And before you have to ask, I am here because you brought the Grey's new captain, Claire Campana, to her ship. And you were the first on scene when the Grey was burned at the battle. And you have enough clearance as a member of the Enclave to hide a deck and to do clandestine personnel transfers. You were my best lead for who could have swapped Josephine's and helped cover Fang's existence. Hilt saw Venyamin's breath grew practiced as the man assessed what type of legal danger he was in. He saw the Commodore starting to piece together his alibis, which were all rock solid and real. Hilt continued, I know you're not culpable of this because last night we had a forensic dreaming session together that proved it. You have no memory, real or suppressed, that indicates knowledge of anything I've told you so far today. I do quite genuinely apologize for the dream tap if such an apology is necessary. It is not, Venyamin said. Hilt could see him reflect on last night's dreams, but he came up blank. As with most people, he simply recalled a normal night's sleep, even though he was busy spilling his deepest secrets and hidden memories to a prying investigation of which he was unaware. Hilt continued, So I came to you, a Commodore of the World Navy, because the dead-alive courier was last seen heading towards the Tehachapi because somehow Josephine Wu was replaced with a woman who somehow thinks she is Josephine Wu. And with the tight security of messenger identity, nobody would know there had been a swap. And I come to you because I already tapped your dreams, Venyamin, so I know you are just about the only person on the WorldGov enclave I can trust to talk to about this. Someone with at least secondary enclave authority has faked Master Wu's death, swapped Josephines in the chaos and aftermath of the Battle of Trujillo-Williams and covered it all up. Benjamin sighed and rubbed the bridge of his nose. They let a pause hang in the air as thoughts coalesced. Hilt, now it is my turn to reveal something double black eyes only. I think I know who did all this. In point of fact, it is the current target of a mission that the Eleanor Gray has recently embarked upon. I don't think this bears the signature of a member of the WorldGov enclave. It is the work of a deviant messenger. Hilt stood so quickly he felt like the fake gravity had reversed itself for a moment. He paced again to think. He said, A deviant messenger. Who knows about this? About as many people as know about your forensic dreaming, I suspect. Myself, the Alpha, a handful of others, 
Clarabelle Campana, who I trust implicitly, the Alpha and Claire are currently prepping a mission to identify and find this deviant messenger. And how do we know all this? Hilt asked. I had some suspicions, but the Battle of Trujillo Williams showed us a new class of ship and a new weapon. Nothing our messengers beamed down from the Kel Democratia. So the attack was deviant in nature, and it was spearheaded by a new alien ship. That means a new Alpha and a new alien faction out there, which too can communicate with humanity. Hilt suddenly put some pieces together from a dozen other investigations and said, The Cincture. And what exactly is that? A whisper I hear in dreams of deviance. I assumed it was a leadership class for them or a spec ops boogeyman, but nobody ever saw them or made contact. It stands to reason they are the other faction communicating with the deviants. They both paused again. There was a chime in the room, a mellow and delicate thing. It was letting the Commodore know that his time was up for the moment. He surely had other meetings and a day full of prescripted events. I've kept you too long, Hilt said. No. What I'm being summoned to is completely trivial in the shadow of all this. We need to talk suspects. Indeed we do, Venyamin, but perhaps you take your next meeting and we can see each other tonight or in the morning. We both have a lot to process, and I have one more search going that may point to some other pieces to the puzzle. Plus which, you need to show life as usual. Nobody in the solar system even knows I'm here. I'll return to the Black Diamond and we can talk again... Tomorrow morning at 0940, Necheyev said. Following with, and Hilt, if you need to see my dreams tonight, at least buy me a drink first. Hilt walked up the short passageway between the Commodore's private bridge and quarters and back to the dark bay. It was a thing that served two purposes. First, it was meant to be small, so during secret meetings, nobody on the crew would monitor it. Second, it was meant to be aesthetically impressive, denoting the Commodore's power and command. It sort of failed at both, being quite large and plainly appointed. Hovering in the center of the bay was the Black Diamond. It was about four stories high at the point of its rhomboid shape, and it was half that in width. One panel was slid down acting as a ramp. Above the diamond was Hilt's Moyu, still clacking and reforming as he entered the bay. He walked up the ramp and felt the gravity flop in his stomach as he crossed the yellow line. Once inside the bridge, the diamond announced its will to talk and then said, Hello, Sheriff Brahan. How did the meeting go? It was disturbing. I learned things I didn't know needed learning. Anything I should be brought up to speed on? The diamond asked. Not just yet. You can read the report a bit later. For now, how did your searches go? Any hits? Hilt had asked the Black Diamond to weed through millions of personnel files. He wanted to find people who had died in the Deviant attacks or in ways where bodies could not be recovered. He also wanted people who had missing time in their resume or any other indication they had been reassigned by someone high up in the messenger branch for no logical reason or clear upvote. In other words, he was trying to find more Master Fangs and more Josephine Woos. Several, actually. We had 15 people who met multiple criteria, the Diamond said. Excellent, Hilt said, asking for a cup of coffee that didn't suck. In a little less than an hour, he had dismissed 15 of those people and introduced himself to the existence of Framer Theodore Brown. This time they drank tea. Hilt didn't especially like tea that wasn't well-spiced and thick with nut milk, but its quality was such a leap in evolution from yesterday's coffee that he would never complain. They shared a few pleasantries, and Venyamid made double sure that Hilt didn't need a snack or breakfast. Then Hilt dove into the conversation, 
without ease or transition. So one new actor has been added to our investigation. A search I was running came back with this man. Do you know him? Hilt slid a photo of Theodore Brown on the table, and the Commodore picked it up. I'm afraid I'm once again in the dark, my friend. This is Theodore Brown, goes by Teddy. He is, or perhaps was, the framer for Akunga Station. Several days ago, he was ordered by the Alpha to report to the Eleanor Gray and leave Akunga in order to complete repairs on the ship during bad solar storms. Now, this man is interesting because in his youth, he was training at the GPF Fleet Academy, learning how to run repair crews for terrestrial sea vessels. He left one day, poof, just walked away, though he was near the top of his class, left his fiancée, a man named Bruce Dew, who has never seen him since, and this woman, Hilt said, producing yet another print photo, is Marielle Barbeau. They were close friends at the academy, roommates living off base. She vanishes the same day. Hilt slid the candid body cam from the shot yesterday next to the Academy photo of Barbeau. It was the same woman. He continued, Barbeau is now somehow the framer of the Eleanor Gray and passing as Josephine Wu. So Brown goes missing in 2125, and three years later he's positioned as a Kungus framer by the messenger branch. No trail as to who appointed him, but it had to be either a courier or a messenger. And his one-time roommate and close friend, Barbeau, goes missing, also back in 2125, and resurfaces somewhere around 2140, hidden away as a fake Josephine Wu, living in her framing chamber while the gray is dry-docked. Nachiev said, well, so much for a good night's sleep and a fresh solution in the morning. Hilt nodded, saying, for now, Brown is on the board, but he's not our focus. We need to find who is doing all this, be it the deviant messenger or not. So let us talk suspects. It can't be Brown or Wu or Barbeau. The timing doesn't line up, never mind the ability or the clearance for the cover-ups. The elephant in the room is that it could be the Alpha Messenger himself. He definitely has the power to have done all this, and the missing people are all aboard his ship. Nachev said, or in the case of this Teddy Brown, reassigned by him personally. Perhaps. But we're confronted by lack of motive. I mean, the Alpha personally established the four pillars of WorldGov a hundred years ago, and the man even helped establish the fifth houses when gaps were perceived in the system. He's trained every single messenger since the formal inception of WorldGov after the war. He's the oldest living human being in history and could have easily taken over WorldGov as a psychic god-king instead of designing the current system and keeping democracy pure. He was here from the beginning. He stands nothing to gain and everything to lose by betraying the system he spent a very long life curating. The Commodore chuckled to break the tension and said, Plus, have you met the Alpha? I have, Hilt said, not sure what Nachayev meant by that. Then you would also doubt his motives based purely on disposition. He's a spacey old man whose mind wanders. I don't doubt his potency, but I do doubt his ability for such lucid manipulations. The Alpha who could forge WorldGov's pillars may have existed a hundred years ago, but the man he is now? He's the personification of a wacky professor. Plus, I don't think hiding a deck from him on his ridiculously massive flagship would be hard to do, especially if you had the right clearance. For example, we each hide our dark bays from our closest advisors and head engineers. I just don't think he's our man. Not even a whisper, Nachayev concluded. Hilt pulled out identification cards for World Navy fleet ships. On the conference table, he arranged all the photos of people under their corresponding ships. 
He put the pictures of Marielle Barbeau next to Teddy Brown and placed the card for the Eleanor Gray above them. He placed the card for a Kunga station in their periphery. Next, he put Josephine Wu next to Noah Fang below the card for the Tehachapi. He put the card for the LPS Francisca Okeke nearby. What do you see? Hilt asked. A conspiracy, Benjamin said. Yes, but more deeply, do you want to know what I see? I see four framers and a courier. The framers have all been placed where they are by orders that Noah Fang could have forged. Fang knows the systems, personnel, and architecture to hide a deck on what used to be his ship of residence. He could fool the Alpha. Hell, most framers never speak to an actual messenger in the real world. It's all done in what they call their liminal space, their mind frames. Fang could manifest himself as a falafel if he wanted to, much less the Alpha. Agreed, said Nachayev. Indeed, the framers could think they're taking orders from the actual WorldGov Alpha when they may have been spoofed by Fang for years and years. Silence hung in the air. The walls slid away from them as they both needed more space to think and breathe and sort things out. Hilt considered stopping the walls, but last night before he went to sleep, the Black Diamond told him that it was disruptive to the whole ship. Hilt took a sip and then a swallow of the green tea now that it was cool and said, so the only two who could pull this off are our Alpha and Fang. Seems likely. So what comes next, Venyamin asked. Next, I burn like hell to the Eleanor Gray and try to catch her before our Alpha boards her and they start their mission. If I get there on time, I'll be around all four subjects at once. I can make interrogations and arrests, though I'll have no chance to collect backup. The Commodore asked quite earnestly, Do you think you can catch them before they complete their rendezvous? There's a strong chance, Hilt said, looking at the freckles on his wrist that were running a countdown in travel speeds. Venuman smiled his thin-lipped smile and said finally, Ah, thank you, Hilt. At least I can leave this meeting with one tiny mystery resolved. The Black Diamond really is faster than a Razor-class vessel. So with that, we end the prelude of the second book of Mindframe, and we've seen the investigation begin as Sheriff Hilt Burhan starts to piece some things together and track down whoever it is that he's after. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, remember that we are a member of the Podbelly Network, where you can find such podcasts as At Least There's Coffee or Nerds on Topic. Uh, there is a podcast for every flavor, so go check it out. And using that as a subtle transition, uh, speaking of flavor, make sure you check out El Yucateco. Go to elyucateco.com. You can find all their flavors of hot sauce as well as really cool merchandise and gear, and you can check them out. Um, as always, if you're interested in my fiction, you can find my first novel from a different uh, set of stories called 181 Pine, and you can find uh, the novels and collections of short stories from Zach Smith, who is the co-host of our sit-down episodes that you can get if you are a patron. Um, so go to the merch store on mindframepodcast.com and you can find cool stuff from the show as well as our books and you can uh, tuck into them. So finally, uh, the biggest way you can support us if you do like us is to give us a like, give us a follow, give us a love, give us a shout out, um, tag us, uh, share the share the word, whether it's in person or whether it's on social media. And if you are on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Mindframe Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at The Mindframe Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at The Mindframe Pod. 
Thank you so much as always for the support, for the listens. Uh, make sure you check out our Facebook group because there's really cool conversations always going on about where we are in the story and what's going on. And remember, as always, the Lariat is closing. <laughs>